0: Welcome to The Scientist Speaks, a podcast produced by the Creative Services team. Our podcast is by scientists and for scientists. Once a month, we bring you the stories behind newsworthy molecular biology research. We'd like to thank the sponsor of this month's episode, Nanotemper. Nanotemper's mission is to enable everyone to do science that matters by always pushing the limits. Their focus is making biophysical tools accessible to anyone in any industry looking to characterize proteins in areas like gene therapy. Working with customers striving to make a difference in the world gets them excited. If you are looking to characterize molecular interactions or protein stability, or are interested in affinity-based HIT screening, they'd love to talk with you. For a long time, scientists have searched for cures for genetic diseases. As stem cell and gene therapies proved to be viable therapeutic options, researchers turned to prenatal applications to see if they could develop ways to bring fetuses with life-threatening conditions to term. Nikki Spodge from the Scientist Creative Services team spoke with Amy O'Connell, a neonatologist at Boston Children's Hospital, and T.P. McKenzie, a professor of surgery at the University of San Francisco Medical School, to learn more.
1: gene therapies are becoming valid options for treating certain genetic disorders. As techniques improve, and evidence of their safety mounts, researchers and clinicians consider providing normal stem cells or repairing a genetic defect prenatally. For certain severe conditions, stem cell treatment or gene therapy in utero could vastly improve outcomes. Amy O'Connell has a clinical and research interest in rare genetic disorders that receive little time and resources for finding treatments. She believes that treating these life-threatening conditions in utero before severe symptoms manifest offers advantages that are not available postnatally.
2: A lot of the problems with postnatal therapy have to do with rejection of the product that you're giving, whether it's a gene therapy vector or a stem cell. In such a way that the recipient or the patient actually will clear the product that you're trying to give them because the immune system response is so robust, it says, this is a foreign cell or this is a foreign protein that we're not used to and then clears it. The fetus has a more immature immune system than an adult or even a child or even a neonate who's just been born because the immune system is still developing in utero. A lot of the immune system development happens within the first trimester of pregnancy uh, for the fetus. So, actually, the window that you would need to intervene in with a gene or stem cell therapy in order to really get past the brunt of the immune response uh, would have to happen very early on in the gestation.
1: While not all patients receive diagnosis of a genetic disorder this early, researchers believe that in utero therapies will still be effective at later stages of development. Luckily, using cutting edge screening approaches, doctors diagnose many diseases earlier in gestation. With modern ultrasound technology, physicians get a good look at structural abnormalities, and cell-free DNA analysis detects many genetic conditions.
2: Cell-free DNA is a way that we can now sequence parts of the fetal genome just by taking a blood sample from the mom. The fetus releases some of its DNA into the maternal circulation, and we can do PCR sequencing to actually get a glimpse of the fetal genome by sequencing mom's blood.
1: Many expectant mothers balk at the idea of administering experimental therapies to their unborn children. Unfortunately, for those fetuses with lethal diseases, such as alpha and beta thalassemia, spinal muscular atrophy, Zellweger disease, and congenital disorders of glycosylation, just to name a few, these treatments may be the difference between life and death.
2: There are certainly advantages to doing a prenatal therapy for many genetic disorders. Disorders of brain development, certain metabolic disorders that have brain or liver or or cardiac involvement where the fetus is already so severely affected that by the time the baby is born, there's really limited intervention that you can do. If we had the ability to intervene with those disorders earlier on in development before they could progressively affect organ development, it could really be completely life-changing for
1: those fetuses. During stem cell therapy, clinicians take normal stem cells from a donor and transfer them to a patient with a genetic disorder. Since the 1990s, scientists have performed occasional in utero stem cell transplants, delivering the cells through a catheter into the umbilical vein. Tippie McKenzie's research team focuses on developing and implementing new therapies for fetuses with genetic diseases. Along with her colleagues at the UCSF Benioff Children's Hospitals in San Francisco and Oakland, she's currently conducting the first formal prenatal stem cell therapy clinical trial to assess the safety and efficacy of the technique
3: to treat alpha thalassemia major. alpha thalassemia major mutations are some of the most common mutations carried by people in the world. But alpha thalassemia major only happens if an individual has a deletion in all four of the genes for the alpha globin, which is a really important part of, um, of our red blood cells. Fetuses that have alpha thalassemia major have red blood cells that are unable to deliver oxygen to tissues. And so the tissues get starved for oxygen. And this manifests as a very standard set of findings on ultrasound, where the fetus develops fluid around the liver and around the lungs, and if they don't get treatment with transfusions of blood, they usually don't survive to birth.
1: The buildup of fluid in the fetus has implications for the mother as well. She can develop mirror syndrome, a condition similar to preeclampsia, characterized by severe swelling, high blood pressure, excessive weight gain, and protein in the urine. alpha thalassemia major does not have to be a fatal disease. Blood transfusions delivered to the fetus through the umbilical vein give unborn children with the disorder a chance at survival. However, even though fetal blood transfusions are fairly common treatments for other disorders, they are not always offered to pregnant women with fetuses that have alpha thalassemia major because of the disease's perceived fatality. Postnatally, Patients either require monthly blood transfusions for the rest of their lives or risky bone marrow transplants to introduce hematopoietic stem cells that give rise to red blood cells with normal alpha globin. With her stage 1 clinical trial, McKenzie hopes that stem cell therapy will prove to be a better treatment option. A novel aspect of the UCSF trial is that the mother acts as the stem cell donor. Doctors inject her stem cells through the umbilical vein concurrently with the fetal blood transfusion. Mackenzie believes that even though the fetus's immune system is immature, there is a better chance for acceptance of the mother's stem cells than cells from another donor.
3: The fetus actually learns to tolerate the mom because it's constantly seeing small numbers of cells from the mother. The fetus has to develop tolerance to the mother in order for the pregnancy to survive. The other thing we found in the lab is that if you don't give cells from the mother, the mother's immune system actually comes in and rejects the cells that you just put into the fetus.
1: For postnatal individuals receiving a cell transplant, physicians treat a patient with high doses of toxic medications to make space for the new cells in the bone marrow. This doesn't seem safe in utero, so McKenzie's team administers a very high dose of stem cells with the hope that they will engraft into the fetus. One main goal of the trial is to determine if this large dose is safe and efficacious. Another goal of the trial is to determine the long-term prognosis of individuals treated with in utero stem cell therapy. Babies may be born without the need for additional interventions like blood transfusions or bone marrow transplants. Even if a bone marrow transplant is necessary, the in utero treatment may simplify the process.
3: Bone marrow transplants are challenging because, first of all, it can be hard to find a donor And the medications that are used to prepare your bone marrow for the new cells to come in and settle down can be very toxic. They can actually be fatal. And what we're hoping to do with the in utero transplant is to make it so that A, the patient can still be tolerant to their mother so that the mom can still be a donor after birth. And B, if they're tolerant, then you don't have to give the very toxic doses of the medicines to prepare the bone marrow. And it can be a much safer bone marrow transplant done again after birth. So even if the fetal transplant is not a single shot cure, it can actually make a significant improvement in the care of these patients and result in a cure shortly after birth. It would be sort of a two-step process where you get an in utero transplant that allows you to be tolerant to your mother and then after birth you get the second booster transplant and you can do that in a much safer way than if you hadn't ever been exposed to the cells before.
1: Mackenzie's team hopes to enroll 10 individuals in the trial. So far, they've successfully administered stem cells to two patients who are now growing and thriving as toddlers. Fetal disease researchers like McKenzie also explore gene therapy as a way to cure rare genetic diseases in utero. Postnatally, scientists can correct a defective gene either by delivering a corrected copy to the patient via a viral vector or by correcting a patient's own stem cells in the lab. According to O'Connell, recent technical advances help researchers perfect the technique.
2: The advent of genetic manipulation and the development of the CRISPR system have been hugely helpful in moving the whole field of gene therapy forward. And there are actually a lot of postnatal gene therapies available for primary immunodeficiency disorders where they're already using CRISPR technologies in viral vectors to try to correct gene defects.
1: Similar to stem cell therapy, the developing fetal immune system may be more tolerant to gene therapy treatments than the adult immune system. Although these efforts solely exist in the lab, scientists have seen promising results in in in-utero mouse models of monogenic disease. Researchers at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and the University of Pennsylvania used adenovirus vectors to introduce CRISPR technology to target cells in mice during fetal development. With this technique, they reversed lethal lung and liver monogenic diseases in the unborn mice. Targeting the viral vectors to the appropriate cells in the developing fetus is a major challenge. To solve this problem, a number of researchers continue to develop libraries of viral vectors that target specific organs to precisely deliver the functional DNA.
2: It's a little bit easier to target a therapy to the blood because you can go through the umbilical vessels to deliver the therapy and it's just a lot more accessible. If you're talking about something like spinal muscular atrophy or Zellweger disease where you need to actually target brain tissue or target liver tissue, that's a lot more complicated and quite frankly, we're not to that endpoint even in postnatal therapies where, where we're able to successfully deliver gene targets to different organs that aren't the blood. A lot of that has to do with how complex it is to actually target those organs and get gene therapies to go to the appropriate location. And then a second part of that is that once a patient already has an organ that's filled with cells that carry a mutation, it's hard to create enough room to then give them cells that don't have the mutation um, and that are functioning normally. I don't think that fetal therapies for those types of disorders will really enter into the picture until we figure those things out from a postnatal perspective first.
1: Stem cell and gene therapies are slowly becoming viable postnatal and prenatal cures for genetic diseases. Scientists engaging in this research carefully consider the risks and ethical implications of altering a person's DNA in utero. Clinical trials like the UCSF Alpha Thalassemia Major Study are an important first step in answering questions about the safety and efficacy of these experimental treatments. While there are risks, the rewards for unborn children with devastating diseases are priceless.
0: Thank you for listening to The Scientist Speaks. This episode was produced by the Creative Services Team for The Scientist and narrated by Nikki Spoj. And thank you again to Nanotemper for sponsoring this episode. Please join us next month as we discuss applications of synthetic biology for COVID-19 diagnostics and therapeutics. To keep up to date with this podcast, follow The Scientist on Facebook and Twitter and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.